As mentioned earlier, today's talk is called Steps to the Divine. Chaitanya Kishore was born right here in Washington, D.C., and currently he is uh, working on his master's degree in religious studies with the goal to serve in Prabhupada's mission. He is, he is the father of four boys, ranging in age from three to 20. And he first came in contact with Krishna consciousness when he found Canto Two of the Srimad Bhagavatam in a used bookstore. Picked it up and then many, read it many years later, or read it and many years later, came to this temple one morning at Mangalarti. And I happened to be here on that particular day when he came in. And then he's just built relationships with the devotees here, with the devotees in, in the institute. And um, is just a wonderful student, a wonderful practitioner, and a very good friend to so many. So please give a warm welcome to Chaitanya Kishore Das. Hare Krishna. Welcome, everybody. It's Khan Potomac, DC. Thank you for the wonderful bio. Um, spoken by my dear God sister and written by my wonderful wife. So if there's some criticisms, you can take them up with my wife. Um, so today's talk, the theme I was given was the theme of journeys um, in keeping with Sri Sri Radhamadan Mohan journeying from here and to the new temple. So we'll stick with that theme. Um, so there's a few things I want to do. I don't know if we'll do it in the time we have, but I'm going to speak very, very fast. And we're going to try to get all of this in in a few minutes. Um, so when we're talking about journeys, we're really talking about what? Moving from point A to point B, going from one place to another. So one of the stories I want to share is the story of the Sudama Brahmin. Raise your hand if you heard of it. Just about everybody here. Well, if you haven't, it's still a wonderful story. And if you have, it's still an amazing story. So I'm going to push through that story. I'll leave out a lot of details. Don't judge me. If you want to know the details, you can go back and read the book. There's some really sweet stuff in there. Um, but I picked that story because it's simply a Brahmin going on a journey to see the Lord. And so what the hope is, there was, there's so many things that you can pull from that story. So I'll just share a few things that I pulled from that story and, you know, hopefully it's something nice. Um, so again, the theme is journeys. We're talking about journeys. We're talking about going from one place to another. But the interesting thing is that nobody uses the word journeys in modern English. We say that we're taking a trip or we're moving or we're going from here to there. Nobody says I'm taking a journey to, I'm not going on vacation, I'm taking a journey, right? This is old English. It's not really suited for the modern vocabulary. Because the modern lifestyle is about, it's transactional based. How are you? I'm doing good. Great. Have a nice day. You have a nice day. What can I do for you? Can you give me this? It's all these transactions that we have in our day-to-day -day lives, right? And so the language that we use is suited to these transactions. So journey is not a particular word that we want to use. It kind of, um, how do you say? We like to use terms that don't make us think critically. We like to use terms that don't allow us to reflect, right? Or don't go deeper. Why? Because they interfere with our enjoyment, <laughs> right? I don't want to think deeply. I don't want to go any deeper. I don't want to self-reflect. I just want to enjoy this place as much as I can. I want to enjoy my family, my kids, my money, my car, my house, everything. Don't make me think. Um, so today, I hope we can all go a little bit deeper. But there's something really nice about this term journey, right? When you say journey, what we're really speaking about 
Uh, it's an evocative term. So when you say journey, we're speaking about something more than going from point A to point B. We are speaking about an experience or the potential for an experience. So when we say we're about to take a journey, it's not just about where we're coming from to where we're going. What are we going to experience, right, during that travel? How is it going to change us? What type of difficulties are we going to uh, have along that path? So that word journey really brings up more than traveling from point A to point B. So the goal of today's talk is really to take a look at not the journey as a whole, but those little steps that we take in between to make up a journey, right? Because with any journey, any trip we take, the destination's there, where you're coming from is there, but it's all about those small details in between, those, all, those, those small single steps that make up that journey. So hopefully we'll get to talking about taking that journey and tra traversing along the spiritual path back home to Godhead. So the story. The story is about, so I'm going to condense it. I'm going to speak it in a way that anybody can understand it, hopefully. So I'll avoid some, I'll avoid some terms that maybe only you and I know, right? But hopefully anybody listening in or anybody here who's never heard this can kind of get a feel for what this story is about. The story is about a Brahmin, a priest. Basically, this priest, this Brahmin, they're extremely, extremely poor, right? We don't have that kind of poverty, poverty in this area, right? They're, they're poor, poor. We say broke in America, but broke means you don't have money. They don't have means, right? So he's a priest, and he's with his wife. They're a householder. They're poor, poor, but they're both very happy. They're both very content in their status, which means what? They're not really focused on their external circumstances. So where are they getting this happiness from? The happiness is coming from within. It's coming from an understanding of their relationship with God, with Krishna, right? And resting and enjoying inside of that relationship. Um, so they're the poor couple. Pretty much whatever comes their way, they accept it, um, and they just kind of live on. At a certain point, though, um, the wife is lamenting. Why is she lamenting? She's not really worried about wearing fancy jewels or driving a, driving a Tesla or anything like that, right? Her problem is she can't find enough food to feed her husband. So she's happy, she's happy, she's happy, they're happy, they're happy, until what? Her service becomes disrupted. Her service, serving this Brahmin priest, there's, there's, there's this disruption that comes, and this brings about the whole situation where she asked her husband, Sudama Brahmin, to go and see his friend. His friend is who? His friend is Lord Krishna, the Lord. And at the current time, he is dwelling in Dvarka, which is like a kingdom. He's no longer in the, uh, in the forest with the cowherd boards, right? So she persuades him. Very nice passage of, of how she persuades him. Um, she's not manipulative. We see this so much in the modern day, right, where the wife manipulates the husband. Oh, I need this because of this. Oh, I need this because of this. All of her rationale was based on spiritual understanding. All of her rationale was based on her identity of a servant, of being a servant of a servant, not just being his wife and serving his wife, right? It's not on, we're not getting on some kind of feminist women don't serve type of thing. This was about devotees, one devotee serving another, right? She finally convinces him, Sudama, um, he agrees to her proposal, right? He's a little hesitant about the means of going there just to, to beg for material things because he's a priest, he's a Brahmin. It's not really his thing, right? But he is excited about going to see his friend, Lord Krishna. So his excitement is in, ah, I get to go and see my friend, Lord Krishna. So yes, he agrees to the proposal. Um, 
So what the question becomes, he wants to know what is he going to take there to see his friend? What gift is he going to bring to see his gift to his friend? Because that's the customer, right? So his wife goes, and hear this, this is, this is the most interesting part, I think. His wife goes out, and she goes to beg four handfuls of flat rice. One, two, three, four handfuls. So I have big hands. You can imagine a wife has probably little hands, right? And she goes to beg four handfuls of rice. Flattened rice. So this isn't your organic basmati jasmine stuff that we all are accustomed to eating here in Washington, D.C. This is stuff that we would all turn our nose up at. She goes to beg this, and she presents it to present it. She tears off a piece of cloth. So she doesn't come up. She doesn't go to the dollar store or five and below to get some nice boxes, some nice bows, right? It has nothing. She rips up. She rips up a piece of cloth, takes this flattened rice, puts it in that cloth, ties it up. And that's the gift that the Brahmin is to give Krishna. Now, the really important part I want you to keep note of, of how she got this rice. She didn't get it from her pantry. She went and begged the rice from her, the Brahmins inside of her community. And if we have time, that's an important point. Hopefully, we'll, um, it'll come back up, right? This idea of getting from the community. Um, so he, got, he has his flattened rice. Um, he's excited. He's enthusiastic about going to see his friend. Um, he's very curious about if he'll obtain an audience because Krishna is, like I said, he's in a kingdom. So he's in a whole different world, right? Um, and he's a little curious, how is he going to get there? Um, so as he goes on his journey, through his journey, he's, uh, he has to pass by all these different gateways. The gateways are described as being impassable, right? Like you can't just go through this pathway. It's like certain neighborhoods, gated communities. You can't just go inside of the gated community, right? You have to have someone on the inside that's going to let you through. He's worried about this, but um, on his travel, he's joined by some Brahmins. They go with him. He manages to go through these impassable gateways. One, two, there are three ones. And he also pass, he passes these very stately homes of the Lord's followers, right? Finally, he arrives to the kingdom in one of the 16,000 homes that's in, uh, inhabited by the queens of Lord Krishna. So I know this is where we get judgmental, right? Krishna has 16,000 wives. Like, how could he? Well, we could also turn that on ourselves. Some of us have two, three, four, five cars. Why do you need so many cars when you can only drive one at a time, right? So the point is to maybe not be so judgmental here. But he arrives at this, this one home, this one out of 16,000. That one home is probably, it's the palace of palaces because that's where his principal queen is, which is Rukmini. And Rukmini is also known as who? She's also known as the goddess of, the goddess of fortune, so he arrives there, and it's this beautiful, really, really beautiful passage description of once he gets in, they say that he actually obtains like this liberated state. As soon as he crosses the threshold, the opulence of the place just puts him in a space where all the material hankerings, all the material issues, his mind is actually settled. So when he walks in, he actually stops, and he's in this really kind of meditative, liberated space. So they say that he reaches, he actually reaches liberation at that very point in time. But of course, this is not important for him. For him, he's, he's, he's a Krishna guy, right? His relationship with Krishna, that's what really matters. So he enters this place, and guess who spots him? Lord Achutya. Krishna sees him. Krishna's on his wife's bed, Rukmini's bed. He sees his dear friend. He spots him, and he jumps up, and he goes to greet him, Sahasa, Sahasa, immediately. He goes to greet him. He goes to embrace him. Krishna is very, 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 very ecstatic. So understand this. This is the Supreme Lord, right? 
he's very ecstatic to see his friend. Sometimes we like to play it cool when somebody comes over, right? <laughs> we try to be very subdued. Yes, yes, yes. No, the Supreme Lord of Godhead himself was ecstatic to see his friend. And they also talk about that when Krishna, his friend, not just his friend, they also use the term the wise Brahmin, right? And that's important that we understand that about his identity. He's not just some run-of-the-mill kind of friend. He's not just some run-of-the-mill person who, who got referred to go and see Krishna, right? He's qualified. He's a wise Brahmin. So Krishna is excited to see his friend. Now, also, Krishna follows the etiquette of serving the Brahmins, you know, he doesn't just slap him on the back, sit down on the couch, here's the remote, what do you want? He follows the etiquette of serving a Brahmin. In fact, they talk about when Krishna actually touches Sudama Brahmin, Krishna becomes ecstatic. He becomes ecstatic. The Supreme Lord becomes ecstatic by touching this Brahmin. How is that the case? How can that be, right? He's the Supreme Lord. Well, I think the point is being made that this Sudama Brahmin, he isn't an ordinary soul. He isn't an ordinary person. He's somebody who's actually achieved self-realization. And Krishna, by touching him and becoming ecstatic, he's showing this example, right? That this self-realization, when reached, even when Krishna touches you, he becomes pleased and he becomes ecstatic by one who's become self-realized in Krishna consciousness. I thought that was a nice point. But again, you'll have to read it for yourself. There's so many small points and nice details that I'm reading out. I'm leaving out. Um, so Krishna got there, um, Krishna got there, Sudama got there, uh, Krishna washes his feet, he anoints him with all kind of uh, oils, he feeds him nicely, again, he gives him, the, 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 he treats him as befitting of someone who's his status, right? A Brahmin, meanwhile, keep in mind, he's in this immaculate palace, and he's, his, clothes, his clothes are not old, his clothes are not worn, his clothes are not iron, his clothes are tattered, <laughs> they're tattered. By our stance, if someone walked in this door dressed like him, every single one of us would reject him. Completely. Just on appearances alone, we would not accept him. And I'm, forgive me if some of you are Brahmin and highly elevated. I'm just kind of speaking in general terms. But if you walked in this door, we would reject him. Someone would question him. Why is he here? Who are you with? Right? Maybe a few of us would, would, would actually treat him nicely. But just on, on appearances, we would reject him. And so he's, Krishna sits him on his bed. On his bed bed, his principal bed. Not like that. He doesn't take him to the, uh, what do you call it? He doesn't take him to the parlor. <laughs> right? He doesn't take him to the break room. He sits him on his bed with his wife, the goddess of fortune, Rukmini. And there he's, he's really treating him nicely, um, really attending to his needs. And even Rukmini starts to fan him. Right? And this is something that, that, that Sudama Brahma remembers, that the goddess of fortune herself gets the, the, gets the uh, what is it, the yaktail chamara to fan him very nicely. So this is happening, this scene is going on, and you can imagine the attendants are looking at all of this, and they're thinking of this, this is incredible. Who is this person? And that word, qualification, how is he qualified to be treated like this by the Supreme Personality of Godhead One and the Goddess of Fortune, Rukmini Devi? Again, they have the same vision we do. He doesn't belong here. But still, he's on his bed, and he's treated so nicely by Lord Krishna himself. So they're, they're blown away by this. So one thing leads to another. They're talking. Um, they're kind of enjoying the um, Krishna's bringing up, like, the pastimes, right? Because Krishna and Sudama, they were childhood friends. They had the same spiritual master. They had the same teacher. They lived together. They grew up together. They went to school together. So they're having this very nice conversations. They're kind of reminiscing about some incidents that happened, some things that happened back in the day. Uh, Krishna begins to glorify uh, Sandipani Muni, who was, who was their teacher. 
Um, and in the process of glorifying uh, their teacher, he also starts to extol the virtues of the spiritual master, right? He, he takes that spiritual disciple relationship and he, he, he presents it for everybody to see, right? And, and there's one passage on there where it's almost like he's really getting into a trance as he's talking about the importance of the spiritual master and they're serving the spiritual master nicely. Like, that's the path back home to Godhead. That's the path back home to me. And at one point he says, you know, the spiritual master, serving him, it's as good as me. He just flat out says it. So we have so many questions. Who's the spiritual master? What am I supposed to do? Who is he? What's his function? Well, Christian says it in here, multiple places, but especially here. Serving the spiritual master nicely is, is the key to life. It's the goal to, 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 to reach in the transcendental plane. Right, and that the spiritual master, the bona fide spiritual master, the bona fide, bona fide, bona fide, bona fide, bona fide. Srila Prabhupada uses this word all the time. There's a bunch of rascal spiritual masters out there, right, who, are, who have, for whatever reason, they're after so many different things. But the real spiritual master wants nothing more than their disciples to re go back home to Godhead. So this is the bona fide spiritual master. I can say more, but we're limited with time. So. He's extolling the virtues of the spiritual master. They reminisce over one story where they go to get wood for their spiritual master and they get caught up out in the forest in a freak storm and they're both kind of laughing and really enjoying their time together. So during that conversation, this is Krishna, this is God we're talking about, right? So he knows the situation that's going on. He knows what Sudama Brahman is here for. He knows what he's here for. But he also knows the heart of his friend. He knows that his heart, he knows that his friend is not simply here to ask for money. His, his friend is not here just looking for a bag. He's not looking for a wealth bag, right? He knows that he's here because of his wife. His wife who is serving him wants him to come here. And so the time they're talking and they're going back and forth, but Krishna is thinking in the back of his mind, yeah, I know why you're here. And I can't wait to reciprocate with you. Think about that. Krishna is just waiting to reciprocate with this Sudama Brahman. And this is the case with each and every single one of us that's out here today. Right? We're all on different stages of consciousness. We're all kind of working through this material energy. But think about it. Krishna is waiting. <laughs> He's waiting to reciprocate with you. He is waiting. Right? It's just a matter of the steps that we're willing to take and we're going to take to become qualified right, to engage in this exchange. So Krishna, is, 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 he's kind of being a rascal. He's listening to the Brahmin. He's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. And then he says, um, what did you bring for me? I know you have something for me. <laughs> the Brahmin is mortified. Right? You could think he's in his torn clothes. He's in his amazing house. He's, he's mortified just by being served by Krishna and the goddess of fortune already. He's like, oh, my God. He's enjoying it. But at the same time, he's like, what did I do to get here? I don't deserve to be here. So he's stuck in his place. He's completely mortified in Krishna's lap. And he says, what do you have for me? You have something for me. I know you have something for me. I know you have some gift. And he says in a passage, it says, not only did he say, what do you have for me? He's like, Krishna is waiting. He's waiting to reciprocate. Um, so uh, where are we at in that story? And so Krishna goes and, 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 and um, no, there's a, there's a passage, that famous passage that he says, right? Patram pushpam palam toyam. If one offers me with love and devotion a leaf, a flower, and a water, a fruit, that he'll accept it. And he says this to the Brahmin just to bring him at ease because he knows this Brahmin is mortified. So he says this passage just to calm him down. Whatever you have, it's okay. You're giving, I know that you, Sudama Brahmin, are giving it to me out of love, so I will accept whatever you have, I'll take it. So he snatches the bag from the clothes, from the tattered clothes, he snatches the bag. So he, um, and they use the word jahara, that Krishna takes hold of the rice, of the flattened rice, this four handfuls, one, two, three, four. Remember, that's it, right? What's this? You've brought this for me. Not only will this rice give me extreme pleasure, 
He says, it won't just give me extreme pleasure, but this rice, this is enough of an offering to satisfy the entire universe. Right? So we can imagine what type of love, what type of devotion went into this rice. You know, it wasn't just pulled out of the pantry. <laughs> it wasn't just pulled out of the pantry. So with that, Krishna snatches the rice. He snatches the rice. He starts to, he takes one panful, boom. Then he's going for it. He's ready to go. He's ready to go. He's ready to go. He stopped him. Queen Rukmini stops him. She says, that's enough. <laughs> Please stop. Krishna, if you take one more handful of rice, that I, the goddess of fortune, will be, be obliged to the Sudama Brahmin, right? That she will be obliged. So, he, so she stops him because it's just enough. This one little handful, he had four, but just that one full little handful of rice, that one little offering was enough to capture the heart of Krishna to capture the heart of Krishna and to capture the heart of, of the goddess of fortune. So Sudama, he stayed the night. Of course, you can imagine he ate and drank like he'd never have in a very, very long time. <laughs> um, he probably slept really nicely. You can imagine he's used to maybe sleeping on the floor or somewhere, somewhere very uncomfortable for, for modern standards. Um, and in this time, you know, he stayed the next day. Um, then he set off on the next He stayed the night. He set off for the next day. And on his journey outward, he was accompanied by Krishna going outward. And this whole time, he just thinking to himself, you know, I've never even asked anything of Krishna. So he went all his way. He went through all of these things, all of this anxiety. He never even asked Krishna for what he was supposed to come for, right? So he didn't do what his wife said. <laughs> he ignored his wife. But Krishna could understand these things anyway. And I don't encourage people to ignore your wife unless you're a very, 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 very nice husband, right? You could probably get away with that. But this Sudama Brahman was a very, very nice husband, right? She had to, in order for her to be enthusiastic about serving him, he had to be a very, very nice devotee. He had to be somebody who was really worth serving with devotion, right? And so he came all this way. Uh, he left. He didn't get what he asked for. He didn't even ask what he came for. But he was, this whole walk home, he was really relishing in his time he spent with Krishna, and it was a really nice verse. I'm going to, we're almost there, almost at the end of the story. Um, really nice verse I wanted to share, only because it's one of my favorites, right? Where one of the thoughts he has, who am I? A sinful, poor friend of a Brahmin. And who is he? Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Full in six opulences. Nonetheless, he has embraced me with his two arms. Right? So we should follow this example. Many of us here, we have so many means. We have so many titles. We're doctors. We have so many cards. We have all of these things. But the Supreme Personality of Godhead himself, Krishna, is embracing this poor, tattered, lowly, materially lowly Brahmin, just like he was a brother, right? So, so the whole time Sudama Brahma is walking home, he's thinking of Krishna, how Krishna treated him like a brother, how the God supported her. Fortune, she fanned him with the whisk. Um, and in his mind, he's thinking that, you know what? It's good that I didn't ask for anything, right? Krishna was so fortunate. He was showing his compassion because he knew that if I asked for something, if he gave me something, that I would be corrupted by the trappings of wealth, right? If I get rich, you can forget I'm not coming to the temple anymore. I, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> this wealth will totally corrupt me. And we've seen it happen to so many people. If you think about the lottery, lottery uh, people that win the lottery, what happened? They win the lottery. They were nice people. All of a sudden, they're into all kinds of things. Right? So this external material wealth, it has, it has the ability to corrupt us. So he was thinking like this, that it was so nice. Krishna didn't even give me anything, and it's perfect, because now I could just concentrate on thinking of Krishna, always thinking of Krishna, always remembering Krishna. And so... He finally gets home, and ah, how do I put it? His house is unrecognizable. Think about your home, right? You have a nice home. Imagine going home, going to your home, and it was suddenly replaced by the Empire State Building, 
and Central Park. <laughs> so he's walking up to this place and he's like, uh, what, what is this place? Where is this? Because he had no idea what happened. Christian never said he did anything. He never asked for anything. He goes up to this place. It's unrecognizable. He was in a shack, but now it's this brilliant palaces, courtyards, gardens. There's varieties of flora, fauna. There's ponds. There's all, ponds. There's all kinds of things. There's exquisitely dressed man servants. There's beautiful uh, women servants. And he has three questions. Who, what is all this? Whose property is all this? And how did this come about? The servants came out. They serenaded. They serenaded the Sudama Brahmin. Uh, he was still looking poor, and they explained that he he stayed in that in that way so that his wife would recognize him. So his wife runs out, and his wife is just uh, going a whole different level level now. <laughs> they describe her as like she's glowing. She's no longer the old. I think before they were skinny, not just skinny, but they talk about that the the Brahmin and his wife, their bones were showing that you can see their veins. No, 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 not anymore. She's beautiful. She actually looks like a goddess. And they describe her as being a fulgin. And she comes out, she's on a celestial airplane. So, like, everything is totally different for them. She runs out. She's so happy to see her husband. She knows what's happened. She knows that Krishna has fulfilled not just his wishes materially, externally, but she knows that Krishna also fulfilled his internal desire, which was to actually, actually be with the Lord, right? Just to be with him. And so all of this is happening, it comes out, and Krishna actually, they're, they're describing a Mahabharata, that Krishna's name is, he's uh, immortalized. He's given the name something like um, Lord Vishnu, who is also known as he, he who brought Indra's opulence to this earth for the benefit of his pitiful Sri Dhamma, Sudama. And so the beds are, the beds are described as being soft and as white as milk foam, right? There's jewels all over the place. It's an amazing place. The pillars are made of gemstones. So we're, we're here, we're working so hard just for granite countertops, right? You can imagine. <laughs> we're working just for granite countertops and marble floors, right? So you can imagine the opulence of this place where you have jewels just in the pillar, um, it's an amazing place. The gold is made of bad. It's ivory. It, it's, it's just everything you can, everything you can and can imagine is, is, is such a reflection of the wealth of the Supreme Lord, right? And we cannot even think that this wealth, is, it, it isn't even important to Krishna. Um, so Sudama began to contemplate really how, how magnanimous his friend is, right? That without even asking for anything, he did all of these things. Um, so somehow he, he becomes very satisfied. Krishna is very satisfied with the simple offering of flat rice. So in the end, to sum up the story, Sudama, he kind of enjoyed and accepted all of these things, right? Now, remember this. He enjoyed and he accepted all of this opulence. But he accepted it and enjoyed it with the idea that, and this is a quote, always with the idea of eventually renouncing all sense gratification. So Krishna has given us so many things, right? Some of us have very nice homes. We have very nice cars, right? Um, it's not that we reject these things, right? We, we got them. They're here. We have them. It is what it is, right? But you can see the mentality of someone like a Sudama Brahmin. That yes, I have these things, but eventually I will need to renounce my attachment to these things, right? It's not the things that are, that, that are important. It's not the actual object that are important. Um, so there's a couple of points I really wanted to bring out, right? So we talked about, we talked about this big journey, this big journey he took, the Brahmin took to, to see Krishna. But we have to, we should, we should be very, very, pay very attention to journeys. The journey, um, especially in spiritual life, journeys aren't just about accomplishing. They're not just about accomplishments. They're not just about achievements. They're not just about reaching the destination, 
Those journeys, they're really about the steps that we're taking there. And when we talk about spiritual life, spiritual life isn't about accomplishment. There's nothing you can, you can't accomplish. We're talking about the supreme here. We're talking about the infinite, right? We're talking about the timeless. What can you really accomplish? What can you do? What can you do? We can do nothing. <laughs> you can't do anything. This is God we're talking about, right? If God was a hole in the ground and you jumped down, you would never fall. <laughs> it's, just, it's just nothing you could do. So when we talk about this spiritual path and a spiritual journey, it's not necessarily about achieving. It's not about achieving. It's about those steps towards achievement, right? It's not about, what is it said? That it's not about the end. It's about the means. It's the means. It's how we go about that. And so just to kind of talk about those steps, especially along the spiritual path, um, there's a few things I pulled out. Hopefully I can get through all three. I'll start with just one. One of them was qualifications. So this whole story um, uh, of the Sudama Brahman, the first, first passage, the first passage, which I found very striking, they just described the Brahman. He's a friend of Lord Krishna. That's the first line. He's Krishna's friend. Like, whoa, that's a lot to this story, but we're just going to start with he's a friend of Krishna. Okay. Um, that he's, uh, he's very well versed in, in the Vedic studies, right? So he really understands religious life. Um, what else they described him as? His mind is controlled. And that his senses are subdued. And that he's not overly agitated by the sense objects. So in this amazing story, these amazing purports, they start with who this person is. And that description is really telling us how he's qualified to take darshan of the Lord. How is he qualified to go and see the Lord? Because this is, this is how he is, right? Now, we hear this and we think, I can't be like that. I can't be like Sudama Brahman. My favorite line that I hate, we cannot imitate the Acharyas. <laughs> we cannot imitate Yes, we all know what imitation is, right? We have imitation purses. We have imitation designer clothes. We know what the imitation is, right? But there is something important about the imitation, right? If you think about Michael Jordan, when I was a kid, everybody imitated Michael Jordan. Everybody. Everybody wanted to be Michael Jordan. But we all were very clear, you'll never be Michael Jordan. <laughs> we were very clear. But by imitating him, in some way, we kind of imbibed the best qualities of him. Right? His determination to win. His determination to win was, was dictated by his, his desire to practice so much. So, no, we couldn't be Michael Jordan, but we practiced like he did. Right? And we carried ourselves in a way we wanted to achieve and we wanted to accomplish. So, don't think of the Tsunami Brahma as just somebody, he's, he's a spiritual so and so on the spiritual so and so sky, and you can never be like him. That's not the point. This is not why these stories are here. This is not why our Acharyas gave us these stories. No, they're not for us to imitate, but they're, they're for us to learn from. So back to this idea of qualification. Sorry, I dovetail a little bit. So in the same way, like if you want to go to another country to visit another country, there are certain steps, certain steps you have to take to become eligible to travel. You can't just go to another country. You have to become eligible. You have to become qualified. So in terms of the steps on the spiritual path, we have to take a look at what steps we are taking towards becoming qualified. What steps are we taking towards becoming qualified? So the Brahmin, right? He's described as having a peaceful mind, um, somebody whose senses are subdued. So this is somebody who's qualified, a description of somebody who's qualified. So in your own individual life, what steps are you taking to have a mind that's subdued? Not that you're going to get there, 
Who's to say, right? It could be this lifetime. It could be 100 lifetimes. But what steps are you taking right now in this present moment towards having a peaceful mind? What steps are you taking right now in this present moment to subdue your senses? Right? Is it a small step? Is it a big step? It doesn't matter. We know from this story that Krishna was pleased by a handful of flattened rice. So he's not concerned that you actually become this Baba G enlightened, floating on, or whatever, whatever. He's not concerned with that. <laughs> he was only interested in that one handful of rice. So we have to take that and we take a look and take that in our own life. What steps are you taking right now to become qualified? Um, so at the present moment, you might be a total mess, right? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you might be dealing with relationship issues. It doesn't matter. You might be dealing with your kids that are not listening to you, that don't want to go to college, that think they have the world figured out. It doesn't matter. You might be dealing with a deaf in the family. It doesn't matter. These things don't matter. They, 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 all come with, they all come with the game. They all come with the game of life, all these types of things. Again, the point is the steps, the steps we are taking to overcome, to overstand this material life, and to eventually take that walk towards Krishna. All right, so that's one of the steps I looked at. Um, qualification, how becoming qualified. Um, another part, external versus internal steps. So if you hear this story, right, the basic outline of the story is that this Brahma is going to see the Lord. That's external. He's going to get his bag rice. He's going to walk down this road. He's going to go through these gates, and he's going to, he's going to go through the Lord. Go, going to go through these gates, going to go to this palace, and then that's where God's address is, right? But there's also a whole bunch of internal steps that are taking place in this story. So the external steps that we take in spiritual life, they're very necessary to kind of ground us in practice. And if you want to kind of visualize what those external steps are, you can think of the nine steps, the nine processes of devotional service, right? Those are our external steps we take. We do things like listen to spiritual discourses, um, we sing spiritual hymns or mantras, kirtanam. We read and remember the pastimes of the Lord and his devotees, devout worshipers, Vishnu Smaranam. We do religious services. We're on the altar. All kinds of things. We serve in our temples. So all these things are what makes someone a practitioner, right? And not just a spiritualist, but somebody who practices spiritual life. Um, but internally, we have to take, we have to look at, um, so I skipped something. So as we practice, right? We have to, what steps are we taking to revive this enthusiasm? There's one thing to be on, to be practicing and, and to be on the altar. So, so many times I've heard stories, oh, I've been on the altar, but like my heart wasn't there. I wasn't in it. I'm chanting my japa, but I just don't feel it. I'm just mechanically chanting. You know, I'm serving Prabhupada, but my heart and my mind, they're, they're somewhere else. So we can be taking these external steps, right? But these external steps are informed by those internal steps that we're taking. I said, there's a really nice purport in here that I'll share. Um, Prabhupada says, when cooked food is left sitting for three hours, it's called yatayama, indicating it has, it has lost its taste. And similarly, if a devotee does not remain fixed in Krishna consciousness, the transcendental knowledge that once inspired him on the spiritual path will lose its taste or its meaning for him. So internally, the internal steps, the external steps, are there, the internal steps are really important. Internally, we have to take steps towards keeping the flame lit. We have to take steps towards reigniting, reviving that initial spark. So it's like being a devotee, being in spiritual life for 20 plus years, but still maintaining the enthusiasm of the first time, the first time, the first encounter, the first kirtan, the first book you read, right? So it's a matter of reigniting that, reigniting that spark. And that comes through these internal steps that we take. 
So we have to go back inside and take a look at those internal steps and find the motivation that we need. That motivation is going to look different from person to person. Um, but what we shouldn't do, what we can't do if we expect to advance in, in, in material life is to rest on our laurels, right? We have to act like we have something to prove. They say this in sports. Somebody can be a really, really big sports person, but they say, well, why do you act like you have something to prove? Right? You're already a champion. You've already achieved this goal. But here you're acting like you're a rookie. Um, so we shouldn't rest on our laurels. And so this goes back to the IT idea, right, that the spiritual path, it's not about achievement. It's about the different steps that we can take back home to Godhead. And, and throughout this story, there's this theme of community throughout this story, right? It's not that he's gone there and Krishna just, Krishna just didn't give him a big house. Krishna gave him a community. He says he transformed that whole area. And even if we go back to when, 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 when his wife begged for the flattened rice, Right? She didn't get it out of his pantry. Remember I said that? She didn't go buy it. She didn't go sell herself to go get the rice. She went inside of her community, the community of Brahmins, to beg that rice. And so that offering, it wasn't just about Sudama Brahmin. It was about his community. Right? You can see the reciprocation. The reciprocation wasn't just for him. It was, it was for the entire community. And so one of the things we got to look at, um, as we walk the spiritual path, inevitably we run into these spiritual organizations, these movements, right? And we, we provide some type of service inside of these movements. But we also have to understand that these organizations, our organizations, we are not immune to the Kali Yuga. We are not immune to the times, right? We've got so many problems inside of our organizations, so many problems. But the problems are there. They'll always be there. But really, it's about what steps are we going to take as a community, right, to address these problems. So I've heard so many times people walked into uh, ISKCON Temple and have, were not greeted and we're not spoken to. I myself have experienced that, right? If we are to be, if we are to practice what we preach, and what do we preach? That we're not this body, that we're all spirit souls. If we are to practice that, that means that it doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter if you're Indian, doesn't matter if you're female. It is, externally, it doesn't matter. If we are to practice what we preach, right? As a community, then there should never be a time that anybody walks inside of a ISKCON temple and is not at least spoken to. What to speak of being greeted and welcomed and sat down and given water? So when we talk about community and inclusion, this example of, of the Sudama Brahman is very important. It's, it's about our cooperation. So as we move Sri Sri Radha Madan Mohan from here to the top of the hill, this very nice, beautiful, fancy building, right? We should be looking at the steps that we can take to make that temple right there the most inviting, welcome place in the entire world. Not just a beautiful place, but what are each of us going to do? And that's, it's, that's every single one of you, right? An organization is just a, it's the sum of its parts. So that's every single one of you. What are we going to do to make that place right there? When somebody comes in, say, I've never been a place like that in my life. I came in there, and I just felt home. And we got to do our part. And so that was the, the summary of... Uh, community and cooperation, and I'll stop there. Any questions? What a, what a beautiful uh, presentation. Wonderful. I really love the last three points, but we have a question here. Wonderful. I would like to know uh, the co your comments about that, like uh, the return journey when Sudama was uh, returning home. So he eventually met uh, Lord Krishna, and his journey was pleasing. But what do you think, like, he has puzzling mind when he was coming back home or he was going uh, to Dwarika to meet his friend with the two minds that 
whether he has to tell his wife's uh, wishes and ask for the like help or he was uh, inspired by that uh, i'm going to meet my friend long time not seen so which when like uh, to and fro which journey you think like more comfortable more uh, pleasing and more puzzling i feel like the, the the return the return home right so so going there is you know my wife is asking this my wife is really sweet she served me really nice me okay you know cuz if you read it he doesn't give a lot of pushback about it, right? He thinks about it. He thinks about her motivation. But for him, it's like, I don't care. I don't need a reason to go see Krishna, <laughs> right? Whether it's for wealth. Yeah, that makes me feel a little, a little uncomfortable. It's not a big deal. But going back home, right? So there's, this, there's, 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 there's these things going on. Number one, he didn't even ask <laughs> for what his wife wanted, right? So that's there, this idea of coming back home and, and not accomplishing the goal, the external goal. But then there's also that dichotomy with the accomplishment of the internal goal. Internally, he'd accomplished everything that anybody could ever want in life, which is Darshan and Krishna, right? But still, he's thinking, my wife, <laughs> she wanted this thing. And I, it, it, it's such a nice, it's kind of like a rationale for us as we, as we practice spiritual life, where we're trying to balance, we're always trying to balance these two things, right? I want to take care of my family, but at the same time, I want to serve Krishna nicely. So I think that that type of confusion is there, but I, it's really indicative of the human experience, you know? You said we should maintain uh, enthusiasm, uh, the same enthusiasm we had the first, the fr uh, as we heard the first kirtan or read the first book or had the first association. How do you figure we maintain that after so many years of practicing? How do we maintain our enthusiasm? You know, that's, it's a, so there's an obvious, there's a blanket answer, you know, read, read the books, chant Hare Krishna, go to Kirtan, go to Mangala Arati. I can give you that answer too, right? That's there. You could do all those things and they'd be right. Um, but it's, it's such an individual journey to get back to that place of, of, of enthusiasm, right? It really takes a, a, a bit of self-discovery. You know, what was it? that attracted you in the first place? You know, what, what was it that really got you here? And maybe think about going back to that place, right? And going back over those experiences and, and thinking about your experience in spiritual life, all of those different things that, that really attracted you and brought you here. So for me, the books got me here. The books got me here. So anytime I'm off, I'm straying, for me, it's going to go back and read those books. Right, because that was my initial excitement. That was my initial enthusiasm. Mangala Arati was my thing first coming here, right? So I know when I'm kind of down in the dumps, I can, I can tell you I haven't been to Mangala Arati in a while, right? Go back to Mangala Arati. Go back and get that taste. Go back and, 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 and get that experience again, right? And just go, go and dive deeper to whatever it is that attracted you there. So maybe it's cooking, and cooking is your thing, and the food is there. Go back into... To, 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 See what it's like to cook with devotion, right? And this is where the imitation part comes. We may not be there on a conscious level, but we can go back and imagine that you're cooking for Krishna, <laughs> right? Imagine that you're in that palace where Rukmini is and Krishna is and that you're one of the cooks there. And imagine what your mood is like there and imagine what the sounds are, imagine what the smells are and try to recreate that, right? And become enthusiastic in that moment. And as we, and as we try to go deeper, as we try to get back to that original state, Krishna is, he sees everything that's going on and he's fully cognizant. Oh, oh, wait a minute. This devotee is, 
is trying to think. <laughs> this devotee is trying to recapture me. This devotee has, has gone errant for a while. They've lost their taste. This t- the devotee is trying to gather their taste back. I guarantee you 100% that there will be some act or something that happens where Krishna will reciprocate in a way that reignites that fire. Guarantee, 100% guaranteed, right? But it's all about what are those internal steps that you're willing to take, right? I, I, it's one thing to be in front of everybody and, yes, I'm a nice, great devotee, but it's, it's another thing to be at home when nobody's there, nobody hears you, nobody sees you, nobody's recording it, it's not on YouTube, and to make that very same declaration of Krishna, I want you, I want to be with you, I really want to serve you, I've, I've lost my way, I've lost my taste, I've lost my enthusiasm, I need your help, help me, bring me back home. You're making that type of sincere inquiry to Krishna, he has to reciprocate. There's no question. <laughs> he has to. Right? So he's the supreme personality of Godhead, but he has this way that we can kind of force him to get him to do what we wanted to do, but only devotionally. <laughs> only devotionally. So just be careful what you ask for. But yes, go back to those things that attracted you, those original things. Go back to them. Go examine them. Go take a look. Take a look at where you are now. Go take a look at what's in your life and what's, what's blocking you. That's the real important thing. What, what's blocking you from being in that space? Is it your job? Right? Is it the friendships that you're trying to maintain? Right? That may be good on the surface. That may be good for, for family, but they're not good devotionally. You got to go and take a look at those things. And you got to go and see what you need to move around. And what you need to restructure to get back to that place. Because a lot of times getting back to that place is about the blockages, right? It's there. That place is there. That sentiment is there. That feeling is there. But somehow we've got these blockages there. And most of the times we put them there. <laughs> it's mostly because of what we've done. So hopefully that was a sufficient answer to your question, Mata. Wow. Any other questions? Such a such nectar. Okay, so um, Chaitanya Kishore is here, so please feel free to come and also speak with him personally. Uh, he is initiated a brahmana uh, with His Holiness Radhanath Swami, and as you can see, uh, uh, an attentive and inspired practitioner. So we, we hope we'll hear from you again, and uh, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Hari Okay, have a wonderful week. Stay connected, get inspired, get re-inspired, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you so much for being here. Hare Krishna.